the church and our house. Okay. All right, well, let's get, let's get rolling. And uh, these other guys can get settled in. Um, tonight's problem is the problem of science. The problem of science assumes... Problem of science assumes that it has proven Christianity impossible. That's the problem. That's the assumption. That because of science and all its scienceness, <laughs> you never leave your wingman. That it has proven Christianity impossible. And as far as why it's done that, well, you guys remember that if you were here for week one, way back in week one. We had that two-story uh, illustration of truth where you had facts on one level and then you had feelings on another level, right? You had uh, objective concrete facts on one level and then you had subjective emotional feelings. And so the idea is that faith belongs in that subjective emotional squishy level of the house, completely separate and sealed off from the bottom level, which is cold hard facts and science and all of that. So we had to say why. It's because science deals with facts and Christianity deals with feelings. And so therefore, the never the twain shall meet. They stay in their own little separate levels and that's it. Christianity is about warm, fuzzy feelings, but science is about cold hard facts. But if that's true, what are some foundational Christian truths that would be blown out of the water if it was just all about facts. It was all about scientific facts. Resurrection. Resurrection, yeah. Any and all miracles, right? You can't scientifically prove a miracle, Miracle, so therefore they're impossible. What else? God is sovereign, that he's in all places at all times, that he's yep. unchanging. Characteristics of God, all his sovereignty. Yep, a lot of his attributes, right? It's impossible to know everything. In its fullness at all times, or be everywhere at all times, right? What other? Creation. 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 That's what I was going to say. Absolutely. Yep. There's, there's, it's all science that did that. It's not God. Somebody said the Trinity. The Trinity. Yeah. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. That doesn't make any sense. Three people, all in the same God, right? What about the Bible? What would science then say about the Bible itself? It's written by men, science would say. Yeah. It's not a factual historical book. Right. There are tons of contradictions about it, so therefore, that's out too. Right. What about God's uh, role in our lives? Does God actually hear our prayers? The Sky Fairy didn't do anything to help you today. He didn't get you that parking space or find your lost keys for you or cure your cancer or whatever else. That's just hopes and dreams. There's nothing scientific. What about eternity? Can't possibly prove eternity. So that's gone too. So you kind of see, like, it's a big deal. If you start to then realize, if you start to buy into this narrative that science is really the only thing that's true, then you lose Christianity. Right? And that's what we're going to explore tonight. So really, why you won't be shocked that it's, it's not true. Why science doesn't prove Christianity is impossible. And there's a great quote um, by uh, a, uh, a uh, I'm sure it just went right out of my head, professor at Oxford, John Lennox, who wrote a great book, uh, which is cited down there, uh, Why Can't Science Answer Everything, or something like that on your, on your sheets. But his quote said this, science does not compete with God as an explanation. Science gives a different kind of explanation. This is a believer talking about this, a believer in the scientific world. He says, science doesn't compete with God as an explanation. Science gives a different kind of explanation. And it's that idea that sometimes people think, well, it's either or. And they try and force you into this and say, well, it's either science or faith. It's either science or Christianity. And that's, that's not true because we're talking about different things. To believe that science is the only truth Right? If there's only scientific facts, and if you're new, this TV is always acting up. So, But you have, you have your sheets, and I'm going to do my best to get you those fill in the blanks. Um, to believe that science is the only truth is called scientism. 
There's no other way to know truth except through cold, hard scientific facts. That's scientism. And it's actually, if you think about it, what would the scientific community often accuse Christians of? Are we, are we generally open to new ideas and things? And thinking, yeah, we're very closed-minded, very narrow-minded. Isn't that the exact same thing? That if they're saying, I won't accept anything that's not a scientific fact. Well, funny. That's kind of what you're accusing us of, just in the reverse. It's pretty narrow-minded of you. Right? So Christians believe in many forms of truth, and I want to be careful how I say that so nobody freaks out. There's only one truth. There's only one way to the truth. Right? That's Jesus Christ, and the Bible is true, and all of that. But, but that's not the only form of truth that we believe in. Right? It all points to the same thing. It all points to Jesus, but we can look at creation itself as truth. We can look at the sayings of the church fathers of what they said as truth. We can look to hopefully faithful pastors and elders and men who teach the word of God as truth. It all should line up with God's word, but we're not even saying what they're saying. There are many forms of truth as long as it all points to the truth, right? But the bottom line is that science can tell us some things. They just can't tell us everything. And that's the era of scientism. But science can tell us some things, but not everything. And scientism would say that, nope, scientific facts are the only way that we would have. Anybody ever have a conversation with somebody and they would say something like, well, if I just had enough evidence, I would believe in Christianity. Yep. Like, when? Yeah, it, it, see how it drips into our day-to-day -day life as far as evidence. What kind of evidence would you need? Or if you could, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, if I could provide you with evidence, would you believe? Just come right out and say that. Sometimes I actually say no. Yeah, I've found that people that actually don't want to really know. Yeah. 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 So we've got to remember that science can tell us some things. We're not throwing science out. We're not saying science. We love science. But science can tell us some things, not everything. And here's the big thing that science cannot tell us is why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something, why is there something rather than nothing? That's the big thing that science cannot tell us. The biggest things in life are not really how something works, right? But we want to know why. Science can and never will be able to answer that question. And the reality and the echo of every human heart created in the image of God is that we are meaning seekers. We're not fact finders, right? When I had cancer, right, and you're staring down the barrel of that diagnosis, you know, I'm not really interested in the scientific explanation of how I got cancer. You want to know why, right? Why me? Why this, right? When we go into trials, right, we're not really interested in those facts of necessarily a scientific explanation of it. We want to make meaning out of stuff. Science can't do that. Science can only tell us the how. It can't tell us the why. So we are meaning seekers, not fact finders. I was wondering if Bridget was going to be with us tonight and she would bring some treats, and so I would use that as an example. Why did Bridget bring us treats? As the question to illustrate this. What would a, what would a scientist say? as to how those treats came to be. She had extra time, and she needed to make something to share. That would be the science. The science thing, right? Well, maybe even more scientific, right? You know, she mixed, she mixed together yeah, sugar and chocolate, and put it in an oven at a certain temperature for a certain amount of things, and then voila, right? and then it, it came out. But that's not the only explanation, right? Like, we want to know why. To tempt us. <laughs> <laughs> and the real the reality is knowing Bridget, right? She just wanted to make us happy. She just wanted to, to bless us and wanted us to enjoy her treats, which we do. Right? But that's not a scientific explanation of it, right? We don't really care about the scientific explanation of it. Maybe some people will care about the recipe, or it might be a scientific thing. But it's more the why. And we walk away saying, wow, that was really cool that she did that. She she but science is not going to explain that, right? Here's another, another way that we can kind of uh, make this point. 
the statement, no claims can be true unless they're proven scientifically. Justin's already laughing. No claims can be true unless they're proven scientifically, right? You can't prove that claim scientifically. <laughs> it's one of those things, right? No such thing as objective truth. It's like, okay, well, you just said objective truth, right? If you're going to say that there's nothing that we can say is true unless we can prove it scientifically, then you can't prove that statement scientifically because that's a different kind of statement, right? So it's a, it's a meaning statement. But let's look at our worldviews. Uh, in, in how this goes, because it's what we do. We'll, we'll look through each one of those. Our three worldviews. The first one, um, atheism, with nothing at the center. <laughs> Hi, Bridget. <laughs> how are you? We were just talking about you. I used you as an example. Um, Atheism has nothing at the center, right? Atheos, they don't believe in any God. Science proves that God is unnecessary and therefore cannot exist. I don't need God in my scientific world. Therefore, I can explain everything about the world around me scientifically. So therefore, God, watch this, this is important. Therefore, God cannot exist. <coughs> they would say, it fails for a couple reasons. First of all, because it's illogical. And I've got a couple really good quotes here. Another one by Lennox. Here's the, the illogicalness of this statement. The same dozen tones are materially sufficient to account for Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata and the notes that the cat makes by walking on the keys. But the cat's performance neither proves nor disproves the existence of Beethoven. The idea there is like, same notes that Beethoven put together to make Moonlight Sonata. Technically, the cat could walk across the piano and play those same notes. Not in the same order, but he could play the same notes. So therefore, you might say, well, then Beethoven cannot exist because the cat explained for how those notes came to be, which is ridiculous. You would never say it that way, right? So it's illogical. Just because science can prove one thing, that doesn't mean that God cannot exist. But secondly, it fails, really, and you'll see this, Maybe somebody can give personal testimony to this. We'll see a bias against Christianity from the scientific community. There is a real agenda against Christianity among the scientific community. There's one guy, Steven Weinberg, a physics Nobel Prize winner, said this, the world needs to wake up from the long nightmare of religion. Anything we scientists can do to weaken the hold of religion should be done and may in fact be our greatest contribution to civilization. It's like, wait, what? It's a little disheartening. <laughs> you're a Nobel Prize winning physics, physicist, right? And you're gonna say that the greatest contribution that you can make to society is to loosen the hold of religion in people's lives. I feel like that's kind of like the idea of like, putting salt in someone else's sugar doesn't make your coffee any sweeter. Like it just makes your life, your whole life goal is just to make other people miserable. Why? Yeah. Here's another one. Richard Lewontinen, uh, Harvard Genesis, says, We have a prior commitment to materialism. It is an absolute commitment. And maybe, maybe some of you have heard this quote. It's very famous. He said, For we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. You can't. I mean, how bold can you be? Like, we can't allow anything about God in the scientific community. And anybody ever felt that? Anybody ever been in a class or talking to people or whatever where it's just that hard wall where it's just like, nope, that's Christian and you guys, and that has no place here. It's real. It really does happen. Um, John Lennox, the author uh, who quoted both of those people, experienced it in Cambridge and experienced it in Oxford. And one guy pulled him aside like, listen, if you really want to be a scientist, you got to dump this Christianity. It's just, it doesn't work. And he fought back said, actually, no, I don't think that's true. I think they work together. So be aware of that. Be aware that there is actually a predetermined, like we were saying before, if you have enough evidence, would you still believe? Right? No, they can't believe. They don't want to believe. There's a predisposition to not believe because if my life is all about materialism and facts and evidence, and you can't, God doesn't fit in that world. And I'm not going to let him in that world. So sometimes you got to remember that. 
So that's what an atheistic worldview would, would say. Um, what about a, a self, the selfism worldview? Selfism might say, I determine what is true or false. Right? You are the arbiter of what is, what evidence I will allow, and what things then I will say are true or false. And that fails because, I think we talked about it last week, understanding doesn't determine truth. Just because you don't understand something doesn't mean that it's actually factually true or false. There are things that are true that we don't understand, that we cannot understand. I don't understand gravity. I don't understand airplane travel, but I get in an airplane. Right? It's true. But worse than that, science, okay, this is, this is again, this kind of self-refuting thing that we see. Science is based on facts, objective, and external truths, right? And so if you're going to say, no, truth is up to me, then you're violating science in and of itself. Because science is the whole thing that's set up that says, no, we must have external, objective, evidence, and all of that. But then if you're just saying, no, truth is up to me, that's completely contradictory, right? So that's, that's where selfism falls down. And lastly, of course, we have uh, theism, which is the biblical worldview, which is God at the center. And theism would say science is the study of what God has created. Sure, study God's creation. Get to know God. Get to know his creation. Science is the study of what God's created. We're not afraid of science. Science is only going to tell us more about God's creation. And the reality is, is that science needs the biblical worldview. And there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, if there's a stable environment, what scientists would call the uniformity of nature, right? There's a, there's a, a stability of that environment, right? Water boils at a certain temperature. If these clouds come together, then this happens. If it's cold enough, then it snows or something like that, right? What's going to happen when a hurricane comes, and how do you predict that? All of those things, right? Where does that stable environment come from that they need to, to make all these assumptions and all these scientific findings? It comes from God who created that stable environment. If you're going to be in an atheistic worldview, and you're going to say, well, everything's just random and meaningless, and we're all subject to chance, and there's nobody in control, then how in the world do you do science? You can't. You come into the lab one day and water might boil at 70 degrees. And the next day, maybe 10,000 degrees. Like, you need God to provide that stable environment, right? It's not just nature. And again, you can't say both things. You can't say, well, everything's random and full of chance. And then also, it's stable. It doesn't make any sense. And the other one really is that, think about, again, if everything's kind of random and meaningless, then doesn't that make our own thoughts then random and meaningless? Like, you're going to trust your own scientific hypotheses if you say that there's no real basis to anything? Doesn't, again, doesn't jive. So we're, we're part of that environment too. So theism, the biblical worldview, would say science is the study of what God has created. Thoughts, comments, questions on anything so far? Any experiences? Yeah, Jen. I was a bio major in school mm -hmm. many years ago, and um, one of my professors said, we study life, but we don't know how it got there. That's great. That's a great admission. Not a lot of guys would say that. <coughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the biggest question, right? Mm -hmm. Why is there something rather than nothing? Richard Dawkins wrote his, his famous God Delusion book, right? And he successfully avoided that question for the entire book. Oh, really? Yeah. He just, he just talks about how things came to be so finely tuned that they are. But he skips the whole question of why there's something in the first place. So he's trying to kick God out with that. And he sold millions and millions of copies on that. Caleb. If you're holding to a science is the only truth, viewpoint, then you have to throw out all the concepts of love, preferring one thing over another. Yeah. Like, oh, I like this, I don't like that. You can't say that. That's not an objective thing. You can't yeah. go, I like this food, I don't like this food. Yeah. Because science would say, 
both of those things are food and they will keep your body working. Right. So you have no basis to prefer one thing over another. Yeah. You're jumping up to the top level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, another thing too is is, is in, insisting on science as, as the way to truth. Which science are we talking about? The, the latest science from today or science from 100 years ago? Mm -hmm. Because it changes radically. It's <clears throat> a really good point. Especially like like it, like you look at like medical technology. You look back 100 years, like oh, people are crazy. We're blood and use yeah, leeches and stuff. Yeah. Like, exactly. 100 years from now, they'll look at our medical practices and say, what are these people thinking? Yeah. Look at the beginning of COVID versus the end of COVID. Yeah. The truth was right. at one point that, you know, whatever, you know, we have to stay indoors 14 days and right. we have all these, right. and by the end of it, they're changing every, every two days they were going back on what they were saying. Yeah. Whether or not, I mean, the science changes and you learn more every day, but yep. in the same sense, it changes so radically so quickly that yep. it's, it might be objective. It's progressive, but it's, right? Yeah. Science is progressive. It has to be, right? Look at Mr. Galileo. We were revolving around the sun, or is the sun revolving around all of us? Right? Challenge that whole thing, and everybody wanted to crucify him for it. We learn more. We grow. Science has to be progressive. So it's a really good point. If you're going to say science is the only way to truth, it's like, well, science moves and progresses as we learn more. Right? We invent the microscope, and you actually get to see what's going on in there. Whatever else. Yeah. Well, let's look at some responses to what we can say to uh, the scientific problem. Um, first, we can say Christianity is not blind faith. Who's got their Bibles? Somebody jump over to Luke 1. Who can tackle Luke 1 for me? That was it Tina? Got it? Was it Doreen? Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Well, sounds like Dr. Luke is pretty scientific there, right? <laughs> it doesn't sound like blind faith at all. Sounds like he's he's undertaken to compile a narrative based upon eyewitness testimony. He's followed these things closely for a long period of time, and he wrote an orderly account. Most excellent Theophilus. <laughs> I love that. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says that you might have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. Yeah. That's not blind faith, is it? What about John chapter 20? Somebody got that? I got it. All right, go ahead. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. That sounds a little scientific too, that we have a, a written account. That was done for us purposely so that we might believe. It records the things that Jesus said, Jesus said, and Jesus did. Now, Jesus also did many other things that we didn't write down, but we have what we need to believe. We have the written record in order to believe. It wasn't the sky fairy came down and sprinkled pixie dust on our faces, and then we sang Kumbaya and shed a tear, and we believe. No. John says, no, we took time to write these things down in an orderly scientific account so that you can believe. What about Luke chapter 10? Anybody got that one? I got that one. What? Yep. Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, he told them. Do this and you will live. Amen. Jesus tells him, or rather the Pharisee tells to Jesus, right? The greatest thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. How do you love with your mind? We loved with our emotions. Yeah. 
you engage your brain in these things, right? This is an intellectual faith, right? A lot of evangelicalism, I've hit this several times, right? Evangelicals are not always known to be the most intellectuals, right? Those are for the Presbyterians, right? People that are smarter and wear ties and things, right? <laughs> but evangelicals, we've, we've deserved this reputation a lot of times because we've tilted Christianity to be way more about Jesus and feelings and everything else. But that's not what the Bible tells us to do. So love with our minds. Pursuing knowledge, pursuing these things. One more, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us the same thing. You got that for us? I got it. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Mm. We pray with our spirits, we sing with our spirits, but we also pray with our minds. Then we sing with our minds, right? We engage thought about these things. The, the lyrics to the songs that we sing at Highlands, we pick very, very carefully because we want you to be thinking about these things. We want you to be thinking about the biblical truths contained therein and be encouraged by them and grow in them by reminding ourselves of them. But also prayer. Like we think of prayer as sometimes this mystical thing where we go in our prayer closet and again the sky fairy comes down and sprinkles the pixie dust and we have this encounter with God. And we say, no, pray with your mind and your spirit. It's got to be both. So Christianity is not blind faith. And we can point to several verses, and there are more, where that is clearly not the case. Right? All right, now a second thing we can do uh, to respond is we can say, no, the Bible is reliable. Because right? that's one of the things that they will say, of course, the Bible is not reliable. We talked about that. It's not historical. There's lots of contradictions in there. We talked about this in week three, so I'm not going to belabor that. But we have manuscript evidence. We have tons and tons of manuscript and tons and tons of manuscript evidence. We have the science and the study of textual criticism, which is comparing all those things in all the different languages and cataloging them all. Remember the whole idea about mistakes? Are they really mistakes? Are they archaeological evidence? Archaeological evidence that supports the biblical, all of that. Right? We can talk about how the Bible is one cohesive story. Right? Even Leviticus fits into that cohesive story. tells us about God's holiness. But also with the Bible, one of the things that you will hear is that uh, Christians are stupid because they take everything in the Bible literally. Right? And I don't want to shock anybody, but we're not supposed to take everything in the Bible literally as the dictionary definition of the word Literal. Can anybody give me an example of something in the Bible? I just hit all my rings. <laughs> anybody in the... Squirrel. Um, Caleb, something in the Bible that is that, that says something that we are not to take literally. Uh, anytime someone has a vision or a dream. Okay. Like Daniel has a vision, he says, and then I saw, you know, this goat came over and this ram and it had one really long horn. And it broke off. I don't remember. Wheels full of eyes. Oh, that was... the, the angel didn't say, like, yes, be on the lookout for rams. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the point. It was symbolic. Or when Joseph yeah. has the, or Joseph interprets the visions of, yeah. of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And then I saw seven really fat cows. And they ate and the skinny cows. Like, <laughs> yep. Daniel's not going, what did you have before you went to sleep last night? Right. So symbolism, definitely. We see that in Revelation a lot. In Revelation. What about other things in the Bible that are not per se literal? When he talks about if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Yep. Cut your eyes out. That's yep. not a legitimate thing. It's called hyperbole, right? <laughs> Using a an exaggerated saying to prove a point. The point is take radical action against sin. Don't actually mutilate yourself. Right? Something else. A metaphor. Like a metaphor. This is my you know, eat, drink. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Well, a lot of people in the Reformation thought that was for real. You know? <laughs> that was before the Reformation. <laughs> yeah, metaphor. Jesus says, I am the door. Does that mean he's an actual door that hangs? No, it doesn't mean I am the good shepherd. Does that mean he actually his job is to tend actual smelly sheep? No, metaphors. Right? Psalms, there are parts where David goes, 
Uh, and then you defeated, you beat my enemies into dust. He didn't literally beat them into dust. Yeah. And then they pursued me all day long. They didn't pursue him all, necessarily all day long. Right. Hebrew poetry. Right. Well, you'll see how people who don't, who, who don't know that, right, or maybe refuse to see that, right, like our friend Bart Ehrman or any of the other atheists who want to prove a point, you know, say that was in the gospel, and Matthew said they beat them into dust and then chased them all day long, and then Luke said uh, they beat some of them and then chased them until noon. And then they were like, ah, the Bible contains mistakes. No, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. You're an idiot. <laughs> that's the correct response. <laughs> You're willfully ignorant. So we can definitely say that the Bible is reliable, and we have to interpret the Bible the way the Bible actually wants to be interpreted. There are metaphors in the Bible. There are there are sim there's symbolism in the Bible. There's, there's poetry in the Bible. There's lots of war narratives in the Bible. All of that stuff that you've got to... Proverbs. Proverbs, yep. But there's also history, and there's also yep. commands from God. Yep. And you know, things that we are supposed to take directly as well. Absolutely. Yep. There is, and that requires biblical interpretation, right? There are stories. I had a conversation with a guy, his first time in church, he heard a sermon preached about Daniel and the lion's den, and he hated everything about it because even at the end, the, the enemies of Daniel were thrown into the lion's den with all their, their family, right? And they were torn to pieces before they even hit the bottom of the, the lion's den, right? He just could not. He's like, that's, that's a metaphor. That didn't actually happen. Or that's an allegory. That didn't actually happen. He says, you can't believe that actually happened. Well, yeah. Babylon was rough. What? Babylon was rough. I know. And that's another thing, right? We're looking at it um, anachronistically in that sense of like looking back and saying, this is, you know, terrible. But you know, the world was a vicious place at that when that happened, right? So... There's a lot of things, too, that you're right, that we do have to do the hard work of saying, well, is this actually like the creation of the world? That has to be an allegory. No, that's not an allegory. So we've got to interpret the Bible correctly, and if we do, the Bible is reliable. And a lot of times when you're talking to somebody, they're not going to interpret the Bible correctly. But also we can point out that there actually is scientific evidence for Christianity. And one of them is all the positive psychological and physical health benefits. Here's one. Uh, a major survey in the American Journal of Public Health, a peer-reviewed journal, reports that religious involvement correlates strongly with well-being, happiness, life satisfaction, hope, optimism, purpose, and meaning in life, higher self-esteem, hope, and grief, greater social support, less loneliness, lower rates of depression, just to name a few. <laughs> so it's like, okay... We're selectively going to use science. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, go back, let's go back to the guy who said, we got to get rid of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The I, scientific person. I hate less loneliness. I like being depressed. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You will not find uh, Richard Dawkins quoting anything like that in his book whatsoever. Right? But that's science. That's peer-reviewed science in a medical journal. Why, why? We don't like that science because that science is not going to there was just a recent one that came out with the, that same thing, talking yeah. about COVID and um, how people who are religious yeah. are happier than those who aren't. Yeah. It, just, it just came yeah. out. I forget what university did. Yeah, you see that you know, in the surveys of, of uh, families, right? Even if you know, you're, you're married and you're monogamous, right? You, or you're happier, you're healthier, you have better sex, all of that. And people are like, eh, we don't want to talk. When you're going to say something? Yeah, you can't sell anything if you're reading the Bible and you're getting all of this out of the Bible. You can't sell COVID. <laughs> oh! <laughs> the whole. Yeah, the Bible's $25 to $60. Yeah, the prescription of pills. Paxil goes out of business. <laughs> yeah, that's um, other things at work, right? But you see how science can get selective too right, in what they look at. One of the biggest things that we can do that we come back to time and time again is define terms. What God or which God are we talking about here? Because most people you're going to talk to against this position or going to say that science is the only way are not going to have an idea of what the biblical God or who the biblical God actually is. You're going to think God's in the same way as, uh, 
as uh, Thor or Odin or some other god. Right? Lowercase g. Lowercase g. So I had a conversation with a young lady the other day, and she said, yes, I believe in Jesus, just like I believe in Thor or Odin or any other god. I didn't even know how to. I was like, was that, yeah, was that <laughs> like Starbucks? Was that at Starbucks? I don't know how to do. No, no. It was actually at the new Smokies. That's yeah, so I feel like it's very Starbucksy. Yeah, it was. Like, sounds like a Starbucks. It was very Starbucks. <laughs> we got to the bottom of them and found out she was a scarred Christian kid. It was really funny. I'm like, aha! Oh, I know. I got you. You're a scarred Christian kid. I used to be one of you. So the idea is that you know, which God are we talking about here? And when people think about a god, lowercase g, they think about I think those other gods. God is, but the difference between the biblical God and all those other gods is that God is not descended from the heavens and the earth like other gods. Our God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, he's God of all. Right? We know that right from the get-go in Genesis 1:1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Odin and Thor don't get to say that. So we're talking about the God of all creation, right? And sometimes Christians will retreat back to what people would say, well, well, then your God is God of the gaps. Anything we can't understand, right, it's a gap in understanding, then we'll just stuff God in there and say, well, God did it. I don't understand it, so it must be God. But Genesis didn't tell us that God is the God of all the little bits that we can't understand. He's the God of everything. And when we have somebody say something like, who created God? Again, you're dealing with somebody who doesn't have an understanding of the biblical God. Right? Because it's very, very, they'll go to that very quickly. Well, who created God? Well, that just shows you don't understand what the Bible says about who God is. Right? So we've got to define terms, right? And when you define terms about that kind of God, miracles are not a problem for that God. Miracles are scientifically impossible. I agree. Except if you're talking about the God who created everything. Then miracles are not a problem for that God. Lennox had a quote, Laws of nature predict what is bound to happen if God does not intervene. It is no act of theft, of course, if the creator intervenes in his own creation. He can do whatever he wants to do with his creation because he created it. And again, science is out of its lane here. Because natural causes, science works on natural causes, not supernatural causes. Right? So we're going to say firmly, yes, we believe in miracles, and they're supernatural. So you're out of your lane. You, you can't explain the supernatural. Your job, Mr. Scientist, is to explain the natural. Right? What we're talking about with miracles and anything else from God is over here in the supernatural. So... You're not qualified. <laughs> You're out of your lane in that. Carlos Plantinga uh, put it this way. I really love this quote. He says, It's like the drunk who insisted on looking for his lost car keys under the street light only on the grounds that the light was better there. <laughs> or even better, that since the keys would be hard to find in the dark, they must be under the light. That's <laughs> what science is saying. Like, well, I'm, I'm looking for a supernatural cause with my natural searchlight. <laughs> it's like wrong, wrong tool, wrong category, wrong everything. And it's good to get on that common ground and say, no, 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 we agree. There, there is no natural explanation for a miracle. It's a totally different category. Right? Scientists are like the drunk who are looking for their car keys just where the light is shining. <laughs> Yep. Another response we can say is that it's classic worldview borrowing, right? We talked about it. If there are two levels, right, the bottom level is what's factual and objective and everything else in science, but the moment they go up to meaning and try to make sense of something, they're out of their level. They have to borrow from the biblical worldview to make sense of those things. And if you want to live in, if you want to live in that world, you got to stay on your floor. You can't, you can't keep jumping up to our level to pull down meaning or to pull down value or to pull down morality, right? And they object to some things like evil and suffering. It's like, well, a God, if God exists, he would never, we talked about that last week, 
We never, ever tolerate evil and suffering in the world. Well, hold on. You just reached up to the upper floor. Because how do you know what's evil and how do you know what's... That's not scientific. How do you know what God would want or do? Yeah. You're not him if you talk to him. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. What if, what if I'm a psychopath and I like evil? Yeah. What if I like murdering people? You're scientifically this is being recorded, so I shouldn't say that. I'm going to say, if you're listening, that was a rhetorical question. But like, there are people like that who are, who are psychos, and they, they like Oh, yeah. Them. yeah. So it's like, well, if there's no moral lawgiver, and it's all strictly science, and there's chemicals in my brain that are telling me to do this, right. what right has anyone else to say, well, you shouldn't do that? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a funny way that even the homosexual argument, which we'll get to in week nine, right, gets flipped around and says, no, but I was made this way, so therefore I have to. It's like, well, that argument doesn't work when you talk about stuff like that. There are sick people in this world who enjoy hurting other people, but you're going to stop them from doing that. Whoa, whoa, where did, where did, where did morality come into this? So it's, it gets very slippery. But plus, if you take God out of the equation of evil and suffering, it doesn't solve the problem. Okay, fine, there's no God. But there's still evil and suffering. So you just remove God from the equation, and you still have the problem. So what's your point? Right? And so a classic example of worldview borrowing is the problem of evil and suffering. And another one would be the validity of our own thoughts. Right? If everything is random and meaningless, there are no scientific theories then. Meaning-making is, is not the realm of science. Again, you're on the wrong floor. Right? And if you're going to say that everything is just the product of some emotion or some uh, evolutionary naturalism over billions of years, we just came to be who we are, then why are your thoughts any different than that? That's just a, a random process that happened over time. And they borrow from the Christian worldview to say that, no, my thoughts, my theories have value and they have reason. It's like, okay, well, hold on, though. Value and reason are upstairs. And you're saying you're just living downstairs. You're borrowing from the Christian worldview. Any other thoughts of, of worldview borrowing where they have to make a leap up into things that are value, reason, emotion, morality? Think about theist, theistic evolution. Okay. Uh, it, it, relenting, you know, evolution doesn't stand on its own, but uh -huh. they give God some credit. Uh, God used evolution, you know, uh, to, to get to where things are today. Okay. You know, We've got to define terms there, right? Because if we're talking about microevolution or macroevolution, right, we're talking about adaptations. Right, there are no more brown bunnies who live at the North Pole, right? Because they all got eaten, and there are only white bunnies at the North Pole, right? Like that's okay. That's part of adaptations and all of that that happens. Um, but if we're talking about macro evolution, like we came from fish, that doesn't work. There's no evidence of species turning into other species, but there's plenty of evidence of adaptation. But you're right. It could be a combination of you know pulling down some things. Throwing God a bone and saying, yeah, he just kind of oversaw all of this and maybe we did come from fish. That came from Christian circles. Sure. Well, the pressure to cave into culture is enormous. Right? Other thoughts of worldview borrowing that come to mind where, where they have to make a leap out to morality or value, dignity, emotion, Anything squishy? They gotta leap upstairs. All right, let's look at uh, another response. We have to remember the true goal of science. We gotta keep them in their lane. Science is what reasonable, or what is reasonable theories on how the natural world works. It doesn't tell us why, and it doesn't tell us Science tells us how, and we're very thankful that science tells us how. We have medicine, we have all kinds of things that help us. Right? Example, the law of gravity. We know how it works, we don't know why it works. Science is not gonna tell us why, it's gonna tell us how. 
The laws of nature describe the universe, but they don't explain anything. And laws don't have the power to create anything. I read an example of the you know, laws of arithmetic, right? One plus one is two or whatever you want to say, right? So how does that work with your bank account? Well, theoretically, if I have 100 bucks in the bank and the next week I put another 100 bucks in the bank, then I have 200 bucks in the bank. That's how that works, right? But it's not going to create anything. If I open a bank account and then two weeks later I check it and hope that there's $200 there, but I didn't put anything in it, right? That's pretty stupid. The law of arithmetic is not going to create the money. It's just going to tell us how the money gets tracked from there. Um, and remember, science is not only, or science is not the only rational explanation of something that's observed. It can't be that scientism. It's going back to that. There are other reasons why things can happen. For example, you go by the stove and you see a, a pot of water boiling on the stove, a teapot boiling on the stove. Right? Again, the science explanation would be, well, there was a heat source, it reached 212 degrees, Therefore, it's boiling, right? But there's another reason why that water is boiling. Maybe I want tea, right? That's another reason. But it's not the only reason. Science cannot be the only reason. Both, makes, both make perfect sense, and both are very different. So remember the goal of science. And last, but certainly not least, the reality is that science and Christianity used to play very well together. Between 1900, 1901 and 2000, over 60% of Nobel laureates were Christians. And some of the founders of science were Christians, like Galileo and Bacon and Occam and Kepler, Boyle, Pascal, Newton, Faraday. There's lots of people. In Rebecca McLaughlin's book, which I'm going to give away, get ready. Um, she catalogs how many Christians there actually are. There's a little mini revival going on at MIT physics department. There are more Christians there coming and they're taking a stand. And John Lennox himself, who if you wanted to read a good short book, uh, it's about 120 pages. Uh, John Lennox, I, I noted it on your sheets, I think. Can science explain everything? Um, about 120 pages, really, really good. Um, he says this, far from hindering the rise of modern science, faith in God was one of the motors that drove it. I therefore regard it as a privilege and an honor, not an embarrassment to be both a scientist and a Christian. This is a guy who's at the same college as Richard Dawkins. So we need guys like that. And so this is a new thing. Oh, yeah? Oh, the geneticist guy. Yeah. yeah. Francis Collins? Yeah. He's the human genome yeah. guy. Yeah. Crick, Crick or Colin? Watson and Crick. Watson and Crick. Okay, Watson and Crick. But Francis Collins led the human genome. Right. He Francis Collins led the, oh, you're right. So he led the project. So yeah. Francis Crick is the no. guy who wrote the book. <laughs> Watson and Crick were the ones. Watson, right. The, the helix. Uh, the helix. helix. Right. So, big idea I'm totally ripping off again from uh, John Lennox. Science does not compete with God as an explanation. Science gives a different kind of explanation. You should not be afraid of science. It's in another lane. Let it be there. It's only going to show us more about God's creation. But when it tries to jump over to our side of the house, <laughs> that's where it gets dicey. Yeah, when it starts to explain God or tell us there is no God, it's way, way out of its lane. Yeah? I was just thinking about it's it's a tool. So if you use it the way it's supposed to be used, it works great. Mm -hmm. If you don't, it doesn't work. So it's like if you, if you own a car, it has an owner's manual, and that will tell you how to use all the different functions of your car. And then there's like a, a repair manual which will tell you how to take the car completely apart. But yeah. it won't tell you how to use the car. Right. Yeah. Good point. Other thoughts? Questions? Comments? Disparaging remarks? 
This is a book, uh, fairly recent book, a couple years back. Re Rebecca McLaughlin, really smart lady, PhD in Renaissance literature from Cambridge. Uh, it's called Confronting Christianity: Twelve Hard Christians for the uh, Twelve Hard Christians, Twelve Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. And uh, some questions like, aren't we better off without religion? Doesn't Christianity crush, crush diversity? How can you say there's only one true faith? Uh, hasn't science disproved Christianity? Isn't Christianity homophobic? Doesn't it condemns or condone slavery? So these are, she is fantastic. It's a very, very accessible, beautiful book that will go to the first person that raises their hand, compliments of Highlands Bible Church. Great. She's fantastic. She read, uh, wrote another book called Secular Creed, which I'm going to give away when we talk about sexuality. Um, that's a great book. It's a great little book. And then she's working on another one, too. Super smart lady. All right. <laughs> Ken's still tracking down his quotes. I found the book, but it is Francis Gotcha. Gotcha. I wasn't going to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Well, thank you guys. Next week we are tackling the problem of Christians, meaning Christians behaving badly. And that's a bad witness for us. And how one Christian says they have the truth, but then it contradicts with another Christian that says they have the truth, and people are shaking their heads going, forget it. I'm not believing in Christianity. You guys can't even get along. That should be fun. Right. We're Let halfway me, through. We are halfway through. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for uh, really, really smart people that have gone before us to help us think about these things. Uh, Lord, we pray that in our interactions with people, that we would be mindful uh, of all of these things and more, that your spirit will give us wisdom uh, into we pray that we are good and faithful witnesses for you. Pray that you would cause things like this to, to uh, make our worship of you increase. And Lord, bubble over and just how amazing you truly are. And we pray that that would cause us to live lives for your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Another successful movie. <laughs> Sorry. I might. Oh, thank you so much. Man, it's stiff sitting down there. You guys are troopers.